Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On your knees, dog. Singing hallelujah, let the whole world know he is king, he is Lord. He has loosed the chains of sin and death to free us, he is king. All right, let's celebrate life. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast. Again with me, Josh Wilkinson. Although I do think Alex McCain will be back next week in the chair. I think it's fair to say it's been another eventful week on Wayside, and really another positive one. It started in, in the week with an away visit to Rochdale, a team who at the time had the same record as us, with one win and two draws from the opening three games, so by no means was it guaranteed three points. We managed to follow on from our win against Portsmouth, however, with another 2-1 win, and all of a sudden, things were starting to look a little bit brighter. Then, relentless as the EFL schedule is, there was another game in no time, this time a home game against Wally Downs' Wimbledon, a team who many had tipped to be relegation strugglers before a ball had even been kicked, and their solitary point before Saturday's game suggested that they might be right. And really, we just added salt to their wounds with a fairly comfortable 3-1 victory on the day, courtesy of a hat-trick from the King, Chris Maguire. And now I'd like to introduce you to the other voices you'll be hearing for the next hour or so. We have another exciting debutante in Neil Graney. How are you, Neil? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Excited to be on? Definitely, yeah. Good yeah. stuff. And next, we have a Roker Report veteran in relative terms. They say his legs have gone, but if anything, it's his back he should be worried about. It's Craig Chapman. How are you, Craig? Very well, yeah. Feeling good? Back, not so great. Well, for yeah. anyone who's seen me, I'm the idiot who was on crutches yesterday <laughs> at the match. So, But other than that, I'm very well. And our special guest this week is ITV sports correspondent Simon O'Rourke. Welcome back to the podcast, Simon. How are you? Absolutely delighted to be here, absolutely, and especially in a good week like this as well. It's nice to have nice things to talk about. Exactly. So we'll try to keep things in, in time order, if you like. Um, so we'll start with the, the Rochdale game. Lineup was exactly the same as the Pompey game, barring, of course, the forced absence of McNulty, who was replaced by Wyke. Um, were you happy with that, Craig? It was, it was kind of expected, really, wasn't it? I think it was probably 
in terms of the lineup, you couldn't have really changed it. We're gathering a little bit of momentum now. Mm. So why, you know, kind of upset that? Why why change anything when it's it's not due? Um lineup really was as expected. I think after the Portsmouth game, a lot of people said Led but it looked quite leggy, looked mm. a little bit tired. So the reality was I thought he would likely come out for McGee or Dobson, but other than that, absolutely spot on. And you fellas? Charlie White looks different, is different. It's had a pre-season, that kind of thing. Um, he was the obvious person to slot in for McNulty and that kind of thing. Um, it was. I, I found it interesting that Jack Ross didn't start the season with Grant Ledbitter in midfield, but it didn't take him long to get him back there. And so, yeah, whilst I appreciate exactly what you said there about him possibly being a bit leggy, he's pretty much going to play him at the minute. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was something we, talk, we talked about when um, <clears throat> we had Collins on, on the show, Danny Collins. Obviously, he was, he was made club captain. And wasn't playing, which which we found quite interesting. But obviously, I mean, I'm not saying we had anything to do with Ledbetter coming back in. <laughs> not saying Jack Ross was listening and thought, hmm, excellent point, fellas. Um, but yeah, I think it's good to have the captain on the pitch, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think he's he's probably, I, I haven't been through everyone's squad in League One, but he's probably the most experienced player in League One. He's kind of a safety valve there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our first goal of the game was scored by McGeady. Uh, some real quality build-up, I think, for the goal involving Gooch and 09 on the right-hand side. Stuck away by Aiden, who was somehow given acres of space in the box. There were times last season, um, and I've mentioned the Scunthorpe game at home quite a lot, but I'm going to mention it again. There were times last season when we scored some real quality goals um, and we had a bit of a, a swagger to our play. Um, and I think this was, this was another one of them. Um, so I'm going to put this one to you, Neil. Did you look at that goal... And you know where we had three or four players involved in the build-up. Did you think that we're getting our swagger or our confidence back a bit? I think so. Yeah, if you look at um, the, there was the the first goal away at Accrington, it was similar kind of that interplay down the wing and the finish. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the swagger was there. I think the the funny thing about the Rochdale goal was was that it was actually against the runner player. Up until then, we were pretty awful mm. um, in terms of being on the ball possession. Um, but yeah, I think I think that kind of interplay is what he's trying to do to get around the fullbacks, um, get behind kind of defenses, and and kind of supply the strikers from there. But I, I saw that as, as kind of a, a small amount at Rochdale, but not necessarily for extended periods. I think overall Rochdale were were perhaps the better team over the ninety minutes. But uh, mm-hmm. as as good teams generally do, they win games when they're not playing so well. So. So what did, what did you make of the Rochdale performance then? Given obviously we've gone from beating Portsmouth, which was a huge result at the time and one that was definitely needed. Did you think we took that confidence into that game or did we still look a bit suspect? I, th- I was surprised and I think the team was surprised at how kind of confident Rochdale were on the ball. Um, they, they played this kind of style where they were, the keeper was dropping it at his feet and, and playing to be centre-halves and we we seemed to not be able to deal with that. We were either kind of taken aback by that approach or we just couldn't deal with it for the first half an hour or so and, and the goal kind of helps. Uh, but obviously, we we then conceded as we do, and um, yeah, it was it's back to square one. But I th- I think the it looks. I mean, I was surprised, but it looked as though the team was was fairly taken aback about Rochdale's approach and their high temp- tempo game, and mm. they were trying to pass the ball. Um, and I'm all for kind of the smaller teams, the kind of lesser teams, kind of trying to play football because it's so easy to take that more direct approach to the game as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And do you think? I mean, there was. Was probably a, a criticism of last season when when teams had a go at us, we would usually struggle with it, wouldn't we? Yeah, and, and I, I I think what what this season's proven is that we we more of a team now. We more we seem to be more together, so we're more resilient. There's some stats out there that we've picked up more points than most others um, from losing positions. So that's a kind of positive. If we do go behind, that that we can actually get back in the game and our heads don't go down, which. 
if we go back two or three seasons, that's all that used to happen. We conceded and we either conceded more or we got beat either. We found a way to get beat. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's a positive thing overall. But yeah. Um, and as Neil touched on there, we conceded, as seems to be the way. Um, it was a bit of a rubbish goal, really, to kind of give away. Do you think we could have done better on that one, Craig? I think so. But, I mean, looking back at it, the the only kind of goal that was half decent, really, was McGeady's. Mm. The the defence for, for both sides was a bit suspect and got stretched multiple times. It did get quite frantic in the end, somewhat end to end. Um, not to sound too much of a happy clapper, but the most important thing for me in respect of that game was winning rather than performance. I think if we played better than we did and, and, and say, look, you know, we came away with a 1-1 draw, I think I think people would have been absolutely irate about it. So I think, yeah, look, we can we can dwell on the negatives in that respect, but we didn't play well. Rochdale were, were very much up for it. I thought they were much, much better than they were last season. Um, but look, we've, we've came away kind of unscathed and it's another three points in the bag. Mm-hmm. So what would prove to be the winner came in the 56th minute. Luke O'Nine again bombing down the right-hand side. Deep crossing. Um, funnily enough, McGeady was the one heading it down to Wyke. Um, and as you kind of mentioned earlier, Simon, Wyke looks a different beast this season, doesn't he? He does, yeah. It was good for him to get that goal. Obviously, he scored in the League Cup tie as well. Um, but it's good for strikers to score goals, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. He's got a bit of a cult hero thing going on as mm-hmm. well. Charlie mm-hmm. White, big Charles. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and it's good. He fulfills the role of centre-forward very well. And um, he could score more. He could be a better finisher. But he's doing all right. And he does look a different player, a better player than he did last season. Do you think he's the the wake we thought we'd signed? I think that's a very good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, I think he's, that's exactly the player that he is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... He's a big beast and that kind of thing, and basically that that's that's what he was bought to do—to be the the sort of difficult big centre forward pivot of the attacking formations and that kind of thing. And he does look like that player now, and he just he's just moving a bit better. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, a, a little bit sleeker in his shirt and that mm-hmm. kind of thing this season. And that's he just he looks the part now. Yeah, I think it's interesting with um, obviously White came in for McNulty, but I think it'd be interesting when McNulty's back because. I think it'd be harsh to take Wyke out, but then at the same time, you know, you want to stick with this four-two-three-one that's been working. But I would really like to see Wyke up with McNulty. I think they can cause teams a real handful, mm. especially for example, if we played a team yesterday where every time we went forward, we seemed to frighten the the life out of that back four. I think if we had somebody like McNulty running in behind them as well, I mean, three-one could have been say six or seven-one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we still like to get through a shaky final 20 minutes or so with John McLaughlin making some brilliant save uh, to keep us the three points. But again, similar to the Pompey game, we stuck in and we held on for another massive three points. Are we starting to see somewhat of a, a resilience and a toughness in this team? I suppose it's not just the fact that we're holding on in the final 15 or 20, even when, you know, if we go behind or, or we're pegged back by a stupid goal or a goal against the run of play, we're dusting ourselves down and we're either getting ourselves back in it or we're going on to get the winner. Um, it's something I guess you mentioned earlier, Neil, we're, we're looking more like a team. Yeah. So do you think that's kind of helping in those situations as well? I think so, yeah. I think as a squad, as a team, we're just more settled. So we're kind of we're managing games better. Yes, we're conceding goals, but we, we seem to be managing games better in terms of, you mentioned McLaughlin, that the last 15, 20 minutes, perhaps last season, that would have ended 2-2. Um, not down to John McLaughlin, but generally we would have found a, a way to kind of concede another goal. So, but yeah, I think, and that may be linked to Ledbetter's kind of captaincy as well. And 
there was one time I think it was um, 09 give the ball away and it was it was one of the bi- biggest rollickons I've ever seen um, that, that he gave him it was about the 80th minute down at Rochdale so so yeah I think that more steel and more kind of um, resilience is in this is in this team compared to last season and for all everyone takes talks about quality and goals and clean sheets it could be that resilience that gets us the results that we missed last season so and I guess a big thing as well is we've already touched on this, the same lineup, and I think it's well documented that settled lineups do m- like much better, <laughs> basically. Um, and I think the back four, I mean, admittedly, the left back position is still probably still a question mark over that, but I think certainly that settled back two, which we which we touched on last week in the podcast. Um, I think that's clearly just making a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I was going to bring up the shift from three to four. Uh, you can see the attraction for Jack Ross of a three because, you know, theoretically it's more attacking formation. But they've just looked so much more comfortable in a back four. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves in the mm-hmm. timeline and that sort of thing. But um, I thought another massive positive from yesterday was Denver Hume, who in a back four came in and suddenly looked like the young kid who everyone was so excited about last season rather than looking a bit without much idea what he was supposed to be doing yeah. when he was when he was a wing back so mm-hmm. so that was a big positive as well so yeah i think the back four suits them and definitely i, I fully agree with the the back two mm-hmm. because they at the minute have got the shirts and they you know for, for at the minute that looks good mm-hmm. the, the, that center back pairing mm-hmm. do you think jack ross deserves a little bit of credit um because obviously we stuck with the back three in pre-season and i think i mentioned before we can see why we did it um, like you mentioned, it's more attacking on, in theory. He did it at St Mirren and he got success with it. So for him to essentially admit that he was wrong by sticking with this back four, because <clears throat> um, I know in the past he said, well, it just gives us options to use this back three, but we haven't really used it. Yeah, I think people have him pegged as this stubborn man who's mm. really set in his ways, and I, I don't think that's the case. Maybe that's his demeanour that he, he gives off. I know obviously Nick Barnes last week said he kind of challenged him on the formation and he got quite defensive around it. Yeah. But from you know, kind of the change in formation, it's it's a no-brainer that playing a back four that we are definitely much more settled, we're much more comfortable. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think, for example, there will be opportune uh, moments again going forward the season where we may drop two or three again, mm-hmm. or you know, injuries, things like that, um, where the squad will somewhat become stretched. But it it's good that, you know, he does have a plan B. Um and uh, I don't. I don't think he'd be afraid to change it again. I think we've got a good squad depth now, where we can move things around and and again, obviously, try and implement that. It, and there's no reason why we can't be a success. I mean, playing it back four over the the course of the past couple of games, like Neil's mentioned. I think if you go back to last season, we we looked frightened every time a team came at us, and there was there were so many games where we conceded the last last kind of few minute goals, Scunthorpe away, Oxford away, and they just they looked like they were getting bullied. And I'm not seeing any of that at the moment. Even when teams are pressing or pushing at us, there's there's no kind of fear. Everybody knows what they're doing and nobody's afraid to basically dig somebody out. Like you said about the, the Rolig and 9 got, they're all prepared to challenge each other. And I, I think in terms of where we are now, I think now's the real opportune moment to kick on. So I'm I'm delighted for Jack Ross that, that it's going well because you go back a couple of weeks and you know I think everybody had necks across his head, didn't they? Mm, definitely. And it's it's amazing... I suppose it's it's football, really, isn't it? But it's amazing how that's all that's all gone now. It's that cliche, though, isn't it? You know, football a week in football is a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, now obviously two weeks or so ago, is it yeah, very long time. I was going to say it's a very long time, and everybody. Well, it's not everybody. That's that's not fair. That's not a that's not a true reflection. But a lot of people had criticism, um, 
and that seemed to has died down. I mean, yeah. granted, next week, who knows what yeah. could happen, but yeah, I, I'm pleased for him. I, I think it's going well. Yeah, I suppose it's it's the double edged sword, isn't it, of the of the relentless EFL schedule. Mm-hmm. You can you can lose a game, but then know you've got two within the next week, and then all of a sudden, if you win both those games, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but you might win a game and then lose the next two, and then all of a sudden it's game over. I mean, I, I, I was looking at um, when Pompey lost their last game, looking at the Twitter comments, all of a sudden, Kenny Jacket now, it's it's Jacket out, yeah. which seems so insane. No, it doesn't even take a, a defeat, that's the thing. Because yeah. the Kenny Jacket thing came off after they dropped the 3-1 right, lead yeah. against nine-man sure. country. Yeah. And Jack Ross was under pressure for drawing two games 1-1. Mm-hmm. Now, the 1-1 thing, I know that's a different thing. And, <laughs> that's an and it, was, it was actually... Credit where it's due, Simon Pride uh, from Total Sport BBC, who pointed out yesterday that every single game so far this season has featured at least a, a bit of 1-1. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're addicted to it, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. they, they? They've got to have their fix <laughs> yeah. of 1-1. Because then they feel comfortable. In the game. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, but just to put it back into context, so first two games of the season were drawn. Uh, one was a tough away game. One, yeah, it wasn't very good on the first day of the season. Fair enough. But And all of a sudden the manager's under pressure. I know there's huge context back to last season uh, and now he's not under pressure he, uh, well you know once they decided that they were sticking with Jack Ross for yeah. this season then it was yeah. I, I thought it was faintly ridiculous to be getting the pitchforks out after 2-1-1 one, one draws yeah but I think it just goes to show that no one no one is immune to it Definitely because not. pre-season you know some people have pumped me in the league and now it's jacked out which is just yeah football mm. I guess um, so between the Rochdale game and the Wimbledon game just to stick with the, the timeline that we're on um, there was some fairly big news making the rounds, I think it's fair to say, which we will come on to later, so stick around for that. Um, but in purely football in terms, it was all about keeping the momentum. Um, and as I mentioned, going up against pre-season relegation candidates at home, having won two on the bounce, you could almost see a shock defeat coming, couldn't you? Oh, it would have been very Sunderland. Yeah. If we got beat 1-0 yesterday, <laughs> yeah. it would have it would have been the hallmark of... You know, Adi Akambai hadn't scored in 15 years or whatever. And then, <laughs> you know, lo and behold, yeah. 1-0 against Sunderland. It, it would, but no, I, I think what everyone has done well is they haven't let that cloud over or impact anything that's going on. Uh, Jack Ross has remained certainly professional enough when he's been questioned on it to just say, look, it's not my business, don't know what's going on, I haven't met them. Um, and it's good that everyone's just remained grounded because it is really, really exciting news. Yeah. Um, you know, it could impact pretty much everybody's future in that team. Players, they, they may come and go. They, they may not like the manager. Yep. But, you know, whilst we don't know what's going on, everybody's got a job to do. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was it was important to make sure that we, you know, we really did dig in and, and keep that momentum going yeah. yesterday. I mean, we'll talk about, obviously, the, the takeover news later on, uh, where we can, because, you know, as of as of recording anyway, nothing is set in stone, nothing is confirmed. Yes. Um, so we can have our 10 or 15 minutes or so of, let's all get excited. Um, but as of yesterday's game, again, same same eleven, pretty uh, pretty standard now. Really doesn't give us a lot to talk about because we used to always talk about back three, back four, who's going to play. Now it's just all settled. Um, so what's obviously grabbing all the headlines is Chris Maguire's hat trick, and rightfully so. I thought the first goal in particular was lovely. Um, it's always brilliant to see a player take the match ball after a win. But Neil, we were chatting before we we started recording. Um, and you said something potentially controversial. Uh, <laughs> you time, think, yeah. yeah, you think he can still offer us a bit more. 
Yeah, I think in the, if you look at his performance yesterday, it was a pretty good all-round performance. Um, his first, um, particularly the timing of the first goal, settled the crowd and I, I turned up as kind of elated as anyone about the takeover news and you could tell and even the ticket office was kind of accusing my... You could tell there's a couple of thousand there yesterday based on the news, that the apparent news that's kind of upcoming. Um, and the the timing of that first goal was important to kind of get the if if that was Wimbledon score and then it could have kind of re- regated into something else. Um, so I think the timing of the goal, the the quality of the finish was superb. Um, what followed was two fairly fortunate kind of deflective goals. Um, but I think that. The thing with Chris McGuire, I went to Accrington Stanley and watched Dale and when you go to these smaller crowds at grounds, you kind of get closer to the action and you can analyse kind of individuals more. Um, and I just still think his work rate could be a little bit better. Um, and I, I don't subscribe to these theories that he's fat, overweight, unfit, whatever. Um, I think he would have been found out by now. But I think I, th- I think when he's up for it, he gets involved in the game. When he's not, he waits for the game to kind of involve him. Um and that would go for Grig for me as well. I think Grig's got obviously huge confidence issues, but I think Grig needs to kind of look at Maguire, look at White, and see how they've kind of got into the game as opposed to kind of waiting for the chances to come along. Um, it, it's not a criticism of Maguire. I think it's just an expectation that I know he's, there's a really good player in there mm-hmm. and we just need to see it more and more. Um, as, I yeah. suppose as well, though, you know, you mentioned earlier White's become somewhat of a, of a cult hero. I think Maguire's definitely there already, isn't he? With yeah. the with the king and all that kind of stuff. So do you think that we almost look at him with rose tinted glasses sometimes? Sometimes. Just playing devil's advocate here, by the way. Certainly Graham, extra pod host. Yeah. I mean he's besotted with uh, with with Chris Maguire as well. He's a handsome man, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Um no, I you know what? Again, I, I do I agree with that. I think even if you notice Jack Ross's post match comments yesterday, he, he you know, he praised him, but he said, look, you know, we, we need to kind of manage him in that respect and we need to make sure that we get the best out of him because mm-hmm. you get flashes of brilliance like that from him yesterday. That first goal was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but there is often times where the game can just go past him. There can be moments of petulance where, you know, he'll kick the ball away or he'll get involved in unnecessary scrapes. Um, thankfully, we haven't seen that too much this season. Um, even the Portsmouth game where you know he seemed to rile him up an awful lot last season but he's he seems to have kicked on an awful lot I think he knows now that he has an added responsibility and the fact that he's starting a lot more games he's involved an awful lot more he knows that there is an expectancy on him to deliver um, certainly happy that with his return four goals and two home games mm-hmm. um, but again I'm going back to being a happy clapper I can't have any criticisms for anyone in that performance mm. yesterday <laughs> I suppose he's a bit of a, of a luxury player Certainly at this level, um, and possibly again, devil's advocate, but got to. Could you throw that same accusation at McGeady sometimes as well? I suppose you could, but you mentioned the word level there, mm-hmm. and I think for this level, they're both extremely good players. Just to sort of focus on Chris McGuire, I'm fascinated by Chris McGuire. He's mm-hmm. an interesting character, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I totally get your point, Neil, about work rate and. That kind of thing. It, it, it's it, it's a valid point, but I think sometimes people just are who they are. And the fact is, if Chris Maguire was the player that he is with uh, an exceptional work rate, he wouldn't be playing in League One. He'd be playing a lot higher than that. Sometimes people just are who they are, 
And it, it was a good day for him yesterday. Mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, it, you know, he walks off with a match ball, that kind of thing. The finish of the first goal was exceptional. I, I think he's probably the only person at the club who would have done that finish yeah. and that sort of thing when he when he's cleaned through. Also, I like how when he got subbed off, which I thought was a good decision by Jack Ross, actually, once he's got his hat trick and that kind of thing, take him off, get some fresh legs on, that's that sort of thing. And now the new rule where you can just run off the side of the pitch. And I love that he he went back to his default position of shithousery and cut the corner <laughs> at, at the end. That, yeah. and, and that was so Chris Maguire. Yeah. And, and, and I love yeah. that as well. It, look, he's he is who he is. Uh -huh. And I totally get the thing about the work rate. But I, I think Chris Maguire, you know, he's he, not sure how old Chris Maguire is. He, like, late 20s, early 30s, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He's not going to change. No. Yeah. That, that's no. who he is. And I think he's a, a player who fans of clubs are going to enjoy yeah. if... If you if he plays for your club, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, personally, point, yeah. I wouldn't have him any other way. I think he'd get into every single team in this league. Oh, comfortably, every single yeah. team. Him yeah. and McGeady and fairness. Yeah. I, I yeah. think there must be a lot of teams looking at us. Um, I mean, going back to like a, a different issue, Andy Holt, the the Accrington chairman, had mentioned mm. the other day on Twitter about the fact that we had the luxury to bring McGeady off the bench. Yeah. Um, obviously, we'll not touch on the rest of his comments, but there must be a lot of clubs who look at us and think, you know, how on earth. Can you basically afford to have that in your team? Mm -hmm. You know, how can you have so much talent? Um, and that does set us apart at times. So I, I think, just again, kind of touching on uh, Simon's comments, he's not going to change. I mean, he he is what he is. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I suppose it's one of them. Whilst everything's going right, we should we should celebrate it. We should enjoy it. Definitely. And for me, Maguire encapsulates um, our, our playoffs, our semi final against Portsmouth. Yeah, I think him. Obviously, obviously that volley won us the game but in terms of shithousery you know him kind of getting in in Naylor's face in, in the away game and and I, I'm pretty sure I don't know if it was those games it might be in the late games but he goes up against Burgess who's about a foot taller than him um, and just laughs in his face and I think that's what we've needed especially like you know when you're Sunderland and, and you're scalping everyone's coming to have a go at you you need some players in that in that side who are like, come on then. <laughs> he must be horrible at play against. So he, he is yeah. like a little worky ticket, you know, the type I'd that... Love, you... I'd love it if he was mic'd up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's, he's, I, I think he's the type of yeah. bloke you see on a night out and he's he's sort of the one who would be running his mouth type and he, you know, he, he seems to just awful. really yeah. kind of explode into a situation. I'd probably he? hate him. On yeah, 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 you, yeah, you would, but... <laughs> If he's your mate, then yeah, yeah, if yeah. he's your football player, you're going to back him to the end of the yeah. earth, aren't you? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like that Craig Bellamy-type persona. Everyone hates him. Or El Hajjouf. Uh -huh. One of those sorts of players. Unless but if he's, he's in your, your team, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Well, back to the game. Um, again, we conceded an equaliser. This time against the run of play. Luko 9 losing his man at the back post for, again, another rubbish goal to concede. Jack Ross has mentioned um, clean sheets. Obviously, that's the defender in him. Should we be concerned about the lack of clean sheets so far this season? Absolutely. And it'll be doing the manager's head in completely. Yeah. And the goalkeeper's head, I would have thought as well. He looked really angry mm. when, when that goal went in John McLaughlin. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, uh, this is a you know a happy podcast. That things are going well, that kind of thing. Results are coming in. It's all good. But it will be really annoying the coaching staff that they haven't kept a clean sheet this season. Uh, because... If you're going to get promoted, if you're going to well, certainly go automatic and that kind of thing, which I think everyone hopes Sunderland will this year, you, you need to keep clean sheets. You, the, I think Jack Ross is a big man for statistics and that sort of thing. And I, I think he even tried to run out saying sort of the average, you need sort of 18, 19 clean sheets a season right. and, and stuff like that. He'll mm -hmm. be concerned by it. But obviously, if you're picking up the points, not that concerned yeah. at the moment. Yeah. 
I think the frustrating thing is that they all different goals. They're, we're not conceding every goal from a set piece. We're not kind of getting caught behind the back. They all they all just kind of different goals. So it's kind of as a manager or coach, I'm not sure how you kind of tackle that in terms of. I'm sure they break the goals down and see how they could stamp them out, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It generally makes the headlines when you're conceding all your goals in the same way, whereas we just seem to find ways of conceding goals, different ways of finding uh, of conceding goals at the moment. So, um, but yeah, that, I think again, it just does wonders for the confidence, doesn't it? To kind of win games, but also see kept a clean sheet as well. It just adds to that momentum. So I'm something I'm sure it's something that they that they're working on to to get right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think oh nine is. Reaction yesterday suggested that he knew he was at for fault, and, um, and and that's good in a way. It's glad to see that kind of players are disappointed and hold their hands up to say, "Well, yeah, it's my fault." Could you maybe blame um, yesterday on the fact that I mean we were dominating, really, mm. weren't we? It came really against the run of play. Do you think people are just switched off because we were pressing? I I, I felt when we were one 0 up, it was going to be the case of right, how many we're going to put past these today, and then all of a sudden when. You know, they, they get in from absolutely nothing. The real first effort of the game, it's, it's kind of like Groundhog Day again, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, I think 0-9 straight away, he was the first to put his hands up and say, look, I'm to blame. I know a few people said maybe McLaughlin should have done better, but I mean, it happened fairly quick. Mm. Stop the, either stop the cross or, or make, make the challenge in the box. Well, I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think, because again, the Rochdale goal was very similar. It was um, a cross to nothing, mm. really. Should we be more focusing on stopping these crosses? Yes, um, somebody pointed that out on Twitter yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, that no nobody really tried too hard to stop the cross mm-hmm. yesterday, and I think that that's definitely an area of concern as well. Because mm-hmm. if you're a if you're an opposition side and and you look at our last two games, you just you're just going to look at that and think just get crosses in the box because yeah. they panic. Mm. Is that fair? I would say so. Um, it, to be honest, it was one of them where it happened that quick. I think even Willis and Ozturk were looking at each other, thinking, "How on earth has this come about?" Yeah, they were. They were all surprised. Is that not a concern, though? I think so. Should they not know? Certainly. I mean, in terms of cutting out that cross, I'd, I'd have to see it back again. Mm. Um, I know McGeady was obviously down in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could, could he have he have done anything? Uh, maybe Denver Hume have got closer to the man before he came in, but I mean, look, it, it's. The the issue being is obviously it's the fact that we've we've mentioned now that we need an X amount of clean sheets mm-hmm. and I think that is going to be on everybody's mind. I think in terms of that back line, they've got to think now every single game like look we we've we've got to start making sure that we get these on the board mm-hmm. because that was the issue last season. I think what was it, it was three clean sheets in our opening fifteen games mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty poor when you this. think, especially the the caliber of strikers that we're going against in this league. No disrespect to any of these teams, but. How many, how many games did we have last season or even at the start of this season where we've said, well, if that felt like McGeady, we're 1-0 up now. Mm-hmm. If, they, if somebody's bled it over the bar or if it's gone wide or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I think maybe they can question each other. Um, I, I'd rather not them have it dwelling on them too much where it's going to become too much of an issue where, you know, the shit's scared to come out on the pitch and they're panicking every time that the ball's coming into the box. But maybe it does need addressing and training. Well, so um, every every week or after every game, we... Uh, put out on the Twitter asking for three-word reviews um, from the listeners. And we've got a few to kind of talk about, which I think bring up some interesting um, interesting conversations. Um, so Snap Smile, three-word review, was delighted for Denver. No, you mentioned Denver Hume earlier, Simon. Um, is there a question mark still over the left-back spot, or do you think now that that was probably going to be sticking to this back four, do you think Denver Hume 
could cement that down. He could. He, he did himself no world of good yesterday. And I was just delighted for him that he came in and he gave what I thought was a, a, a very good performance. You know, 7 out of 10 above and above performance yesterday. And I think he needed that. He might well be the first choice left back going forward if it's a back four. Um, but they're still looking to bring in a left back. It's still very much their intention to bring in a left back before the transfer window closes. So... It depends who that person is, providing that they get him and that kind of thing. But yeah, that it was one, Chris Maguire gets the headlines, but I think, you know, it was one of the feel-good stories yesterday was Denver Hume's performance because after really struggling mm-hmm. at the start of the season, um, I thought he was he was very good yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I did feel a bit sorry for him after the Oxford game because obviously we're, we're doing this back three and, and him and Flanagan on the left, just they just didn't look comfortable at all and I think Denver got a lot of the brunt of that I thought Yeah I think not to throw anybody under the bus but it always seems to be the local boys who become It's weird isn't it? Yeah It's always been George Honeyman Uh I mean Christ Jordan Henderson even could have for a little while Mm. and I don't want that to be Denver Hume because he he looked shot to bits when he came off um, off the pitch against Oxford and a lot of people had question marks over him, which is a shame because, you know, coming off of the back end of last season, everybody had him held in the highest regard to say this lad's going to be, you know, a massive, massive uh, part in, in us hopefully getting promoted. He signs a new contract. So there is it's a great feel-good factor around. And then after after day one where it doesn't quite go to plan, you know, then people are starting to somewhat give him a, a bit of shit. But I, I was I was impressed with him yesterday and again when he came on against Portsmouth um for like that last ten he was he was throwing I think he needed that didn't he yeah he was throwing himself into things and and yesterday he looked really really confident even where there was a couple of times where maybe a straight pass or, or anything like that you know he didn't let it impact him or affect his game and to be fair that's quite telling of the entire team I think yesterday it it, it could have gone you know sour when they equalised but you know listen everyone just kicked on and and I think Denver human fairness uh, it's it's his spot for the moment until we sign obviously um, cover for him but look, we're, we're, we need two players in every position so mm. I, I hope that whoever we bring in regardless of who they are whether it's a loan signing or whatever league they've played in I'd still like Denver Hume to have that position I'd still like him for the long term because I, I feel there is, there's, a, there's a really good talent in there and I, I think you know, the more he kicks on, he could be another player that we're talking about who could go for a lot of money in the future. Well, that's that's a thing, and I think you know we've talked about before the the transfer, I guess, um, philosophy that we need to have is to try and build these players, and then, like you say, sell them on for a big fee because mm. he's cost us nothing. So for me to kind of just have him on the bench just seems a waste. I think we need to give these players time. I'd say let's not forget as well. I mean. We have played some pretty difficult teams so mm. far this season. Portsmouth, they're okay, they've had a bit of a shaky start, admittedly, but they'll be up there. Mm-hmm. Ipswich are doing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even Wimbledon yesterday, okay, granted, they, they weren't very good. Um, they give Ipswich a good, go- uh, good game the other night as well. Um, but this is his first real stint in that team, besides the injury last season. He's yeah. still a young kid. He has, he's, he's only played, what, 25 games or something like that, competitive mm-hmm. so far. Um I think I think people need to maybe appreciate that sometimes. Um, look, if things aren't going to plan, don't you know dig them out and throw them under the bus. Just, just get behind them because yesterday, like I said again, it's the happy clapper routine. But I had no complaints about anything. I thought the fans were absolutely spot on when things weren't going to plan, passes going astray, things like that. Back them, and it, it was good. It was it was refreshing to see them trying different things. And if it wasn't coming off, 
that you know they, they didn't let it get to them. Mm. And I thought Denver Hume yesterday, I thought it was very, very impressive. I, th- I thought it was um, clever management from Ross to, to pick that game yesterday to put them back in. I think he could have potentially put them back in against Rochdale, but looking at Rochdale's movement and kind of their threat at home, uh, if something went wrong in the first five, ten minutes, uh, it could have been pressure on, on Hume again. So I think yesterday, kind of Wimbledon at home, potential relegation fodder in, t- in terms of um, the, the end of the, the season. I, I think it was just a nice game for Hume. To, I think he was probably as confident going out there saying, yeah, we're playing a lesser team. Let's see if I can get forwards. Um, and I think his best work yesterday, he did nothing wrong at all defensively. The only thing you could say, he lost possession, but he, at the time he was going forwards, which that's all you can ask of a, of a full-back in possession to, to try and get forward and, and create some play. So, so yeah, I think I think it was clever for Ross to kind of to hold that off. And I mean, McLaughlin, Conor McLaughlin, um, he's he's had some stick, but he hasn't really played in his, his kind of home position um, for any run of games. So I think it was the right time to take him out, but also the right game for to Hume to, to come back in as well. So that kind of leads on to the next three-word review, if you like. It's another player who's perhaps not done what we'd hoped. Um, it was Conor Mac underscore 10 um, that posted Greg almost scored. Um, and, I, I, you know, we've all, seen, we've all seen the chance. A confident Greg puts that away. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I was gutted from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because that chance in particular, he'd done all of the hard work. And you're just waiting for the net to bulge, and then we can finally say, "Look, you know, we finally got the Will Greg that we expected," and it's it's just not happening, isn't it? Because the the crowd even cheered before it even, you know, yeah, yeah. everyone thought that was that was going in. I, I mean, he had two really good chances. Obviously, the one that um, that White knocked down from as well, and he was he was maybe a yard away, a few inches. Um, but for some reason, at, at this moment. You know, is he going to turn into a Danny Graham, Josie Altador type? I certainly hope not, because there is definitely a player in there. Absolutely, um, the, the one from the wide knockdown actually would concern me more, to be mm. honest, because just in striker's instinct, he, that that was a walking goal. That should have been keeper was going the other way, would have been nowhere near it. And Will Grigg in the past and a six-yard box poacher, that's an easy goal. That. You just you anticipate what's going to happen there, mm-hmm. and he was he was on his t- he was on his heels. Mm-hmm. He didn't get where he should have been. That sort of thing. The other chance was look, it was a terrible miss, but stri- even strikers and managers will tell you he got into the position, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. But, yeah. but the fact he got into the position was all right. The first one, the white knockdown one, was the one that sort of concerned me and made mm-hmm. me think that he is really short of confidence because I think normally if he was on his game. That would have been meat and drink, and he just would have been on the end of that, and and it just instinct isn't quite there at the mm. moment. And I think at this point for Sunderland, when it's over the one-one draw start and that kind of thing, I think Will Griggs scoring a goal or two is is possibly now the the you know the cherry on top of the cake. That's the last thing that last they, the they need to fall into place now yeah. at this point. So what do you do as Jack Ross? Because we've just talked about there about Denver Hume. He, he brought him back in for the Wimbledon game. He brought him on for the last 10 minutes of, of the Portsmouth game just to kind of build that confidence up. I think he's, it looks like he's doing something quite similar with Greg. Obviously, White start and he's bringing Greg on for the last 25, 30 minutes. I think it would have been a fair presumption that he should have got a goal yesterday or could have got a goal yesterday, which which was obviously the idea. What do you, what do? You do? Um, you play him at Burnley yeah. to start yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Um get some miles on the clock, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's going to be a tough game. Look, I mean, mm. it will probably be Sunderland's second team against Burnley's second team, yeah. but still, you play him and you just, 
you just got to hope that at some point... It just needs one if one in off the bum. It is. It's the classic one in yeah. off the arse, isn't yeah. it, basically? Yeah. And you hope that that will happen at yeah. some point too. Yeah, well, going on to more optimistic three-word review, um, Jaybird13 has put Champions-esque performance. Pretty big statement after five games. But is it something to talk about? Um... I think you've got to look at the opposition yesterday and in terms of kind of on paper and kind of how it panned out. I think the opposition was, was all due respect to Wimbledon. I, th- I thought they were fairly poor in terms of attacking. There was one time when Wyke kind of sped past the centre-half down the wing and I just thought, yeah, that, that doesn't happen. This is <laughs> this is the level of Wimbledon. And yeah. and again, I appreciate the, the small club, limited budget and so on, but I think it's difficult to say Champions-esque against... If we go to Peterborough next week and, and put in a similar performance result, then perhaps you can mm-hmm. start talking about kind of more positive things. But I think I'd prefer to stay a little bit more grounded now um, based on a home win against uh, Wimbledon. But do you think... Automatics is is possible, or what? What are your expectations? Are you thinking playoffs again? No, I th- I think we need to be top two. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not looking like top two towards, uh, then obviously things are going to go quite sour. I put something um, in an article recently that at the end of October I think we'll be top two, and I think we'll be difficult to kind of displace from that um, mm-hmm. at that point. Whether that's me being really optimistic, but I, I just think the, the feeling around the club and the, the, the feeling around the team and how settled the squad is compared to last season. Um, there was players in there that were obviously have now been moved on that we, we don't know behind the scenes, and I'm sure they were all kind of fine, but I, I'm guessing the rest of the squad knew that those players were, were on the way, whereas this squad that we've got now is completely um, the squad that he wants and kind of should take us forward. And yeah, I. I'll put it on. I'll put it on a recording now that I think we'll go up at least top two. Um, but whether yesterday was champion esque performance, so that I think you've got to look at the opposition as well. I don't think you're going to get a a fair kind of idea of what's what is going to be happening. Like you said, until around about October time, we we were pretty much here this time last season. I think when we'd we'd beat Scunthorpe and we said we're going to blow every single team away. And then we hit that sticky patch, a couple of draws, defeat at Burton and things like that. So I think the most important thing at this stage is literally just take each game as they come. The reality is we're not going to win every single game. There is going to be games where, you know, we're, we're going to be throwing everything at it and things aren't going to come off. The Oxford game is the prime example for that. But I think at this stage, you know, we, we have to be targeting to get out this league at this at this, at this time. I mean, mm-hmm. last season, maybe you can forgive it somewhat because of the you know, the turmoil that the club was in, but the fact that things are now going incredibly well, certainly off the pitch. Um, but I, I feel like we've had to start the season a little more kind of... It was it was more difficult start for us than maybe other teams because of, you know, the Wembley hangover that we've had. Mm. Um, I, and I don't think people have really got over that until maybe about now. And it was the first time yesterday, I think, where you've seen people, you know, coming away from the match and really enjoying themselves again and, and just saying, look, let's put that one to bed. Um, and maybe do something again this season where we can be looking back, say, five, ten years from now and saying, do you remember that season back mm-hmm. in League League One where we've enjoyed it and we've, we've steamrolled teams? Um, but yesterday was it was the first good sign I thought that, you know, even at 1-1, I never once thought yesterday that we were not going to win that game. I think everybody had that about us, thinking, right, OK, listen, we'll just find another way to get through them. Um but we've got tough games coming up. Peterborough away next week is is obviously the next big challenge. And I think if we go down there, and if we do get three points, then people will start looking at us and go, right, these are these are the real deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, 
Sorry, Neil. Go sorry, ahead. and then Burton, Rotherham at home are, are kind of two big home games mm-hmm. as well. In, in terms of Rotherham again, one of the kind of perhaps favourites to kind of go straight back up. Um, there was just a thing on match of the day last night. They, I think they were talking about the kind of how Liverpool have started. They've just kind of started where they left off last season, and um, there was a mention of Alex Ferguson's Man United teams. Now I'm not, I'm not comparing the two teams, but um, they talked about how. He was happy to be there and thereabouts until maybe Christmas, just after Christmas, and then Ferguson's teams just started blowing teams away and kind of went on on big runs. And I think we may see that as it get around Christmas, that the depth in our squad, when other teams are perhaps struggling to get a kind of first team eleven out, you'll, you'll see our squad coming at own and and kind of power on from there. So I think so long as we kind of top two come Christmas. Mm-hmm. I can't see us going anywhere but kind of upwards in, the, in that respect. So. I mean, I think if you look at Luton last season as well, they're, they're a prime example. Well, I think they had maybe three or four points after the first few games mm-hmm. and they were literally in nobody's discussion for promotion, were I, they? I think they were 14th at the end of yeah. September last year. Then all of a sudden yeah. they put, what, 25 games unbeaten or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And they weren't the most fashionable of teams. They didn't necessarily always play the greatest football. There was there was a couple of 1-0s in there, and but... It was just that momentum. They just mm-hmm. kept going. Yeah. They just they had were, that they were a proper team in the sense yeah. that they were very together. Um, and, and, and I'm starting to feel that now about us yeah. as well. Um, and that's that's the most promising, reassuring thing. So whilst we are keeping this, you know, the settled squad, the settled lineup at the moment, I think those on the bench, uh, Dylan McGeoch, George Dobson, for example, they they're going to have to patiently wait their turn, um, but they're going to get it because of the amount of games that we've got. Obviously, we've still got the whatever the hell the checker trade's called this season the leasing.com leasing.com leasing. um, but you know what I'd, I'd be over the moon if we uh, if we got put out of both competitions as soon as we can so we can just concentrate on the league I never want to see Wembley again after last season um, you mentioned McGeoch and Dobson there and again on, on Twitter we put out some questions for the listeners to um, to give us their responses and for us to kind of chat about as well um, and one of them was our best centre our best centre midfielder pairing your thoughts um we had one furious man um, who thought there's no need to debate it because we're, we're winning and, and why would you change it? Um, does he have a point, Simon, or can someone like George Dobson feel quite harshly done by for not, not being in the team? I think it's possible for everything you've said to actually be correct. Yeah. So um, I think George Dobson probably can feel a little hard done by. Not seen enough of him to make a judgment as yet, but he was one of the brightest spots on the opening day and that kind of thing. But at the minute, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, it looks like the two of them complement each other quite well. They're both quite deep lying. That's mm. that's the thing that you'd say. Um, but now that Grant is back in the team, I, for for league games, for the important games, I don't see Grant not being in the team. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be him and someone else. And at the moment. Max Power seems to complement him quite well. It gives them a good, strong shield. So at the moment, Mr Furious is is probably spot on with that. Yeah. <laughs> and you would imagine as well, maybe getting towards Christmas time, Ledbetter might struggle to do two games in a week. Absolutely. Look, so, I'm, I'm still actually quite a fan of McGeeck. I think yeah. I think he's a very, very good footballer. But it just seems that circumstances don't seem to fall in his favour yeah. during his time at Sunderland. Mm-hmm. But it, it was me that kind of that, that put that question out. Who's our best centre midfield? And I guess what what I was thinking is is the other. If you look at around the team, even Denver Hume left back. If he's going to kind of stake his his claim now, I think the only kind of that where we've got major competition and where things could possibly change would be those centre midfield berths. So I wasn't suggesting that the current 
uh, pairing aren't the best pairing, but and certainly that they're more settled at the moment. But I, I think there will be opportunities for McGeoch, as you've mentioned, Simon. He seems to pick up knocks at the wrong times, or uh, other players seem to be ahead of him for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think again, come Christmas, there will be, have to be changes. Um, and I, I don't subscribe with this kind of Ledbetter's Ledbetter. If he has a bad game, he's lost his legs. I think it's kind of a lazy comment that that we see often in in football. It's it's kind of often that's the way the game is or that's the way maybe the mentality of the game or the mentality of the individual. I don't think a, a professional footballer's legs just go overnight because they've had one bad game. But I think it'd be interesting going forward to how we kind of rotate those maybe four or five centre midfielders in, in those two positions. I think Ledbetter dispelled that rumour mm. yesterday about everyone saying his legs had gone. I think it was circuit 88, 89 minutes where he won the ball back just in front of the dugout. Oh, he managed, great, that, yeah, yeah, he managed to retain yeah. possession, shielded yeah. so many players off the ball. And I mean, literally everyone rose straight away to applaud what he'd done. And to be honest, I mean, we're, when I think now we're seeing the signing that we expected back in January, um, you know, as set pieces always look threatening. Yeah. He's, he's carving out um, a lot of chances. He, he sprays the ball around, you know, so, so comfortably. But I think in terms of going back to that question, you know, midweeks now, a prime chance for anybody to stake claim going down to Burnley. We're expecting a lot of changes, if not 11 changes. So if George Dobson or Dylan McGeoch is feeling aggrieved about not being in that team, go and do something about oh, yeah. it. Exactly. Right, so a little bit of uh, admin. Um, competition time. So this week, our friends at Football Bobbles have offered one of our followers the choice of a free bucket or bobble hat. We had hundreds of entrants across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and I'm delighted to announce that our winner is Haley Henderson. Um, congratulations, Haley! Please DM us with your details. Thank you to all of those who entered. You can check out the full range of sudden hats available at footballbobbles.com. Right, so the... I guess the uh, the most aware of, of the listeners will notice that we haven't. I mean, we've gone forty seven minutes, and we haven't really touched on the recent news around Sunderland, the takeover news. Um, we did that on purpose. We thought, tell you what, we'll we'll do the football, and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, so, for anyone unaware, I'll just quickly go over what's been in the news recently. Um, there is news of new investors of Sunderland, um, John Phelan, Glenn Furman, Rob Platek, um, and also Michael Dell, who was the founder and CEO of Dell Technologies, are said to be interested in investing in Sunderland Football Club, um, or at least majority ownership, and then Stuart Donald and Charlie Methan will continue to manage the club on a day-to-day basis. As of recording, nothing is set in stone, nothing is confirmed. Um, you know, you don't want to get too carried away. You look at our neighbours across the river there and what happened earlier. Although, personally, I always thought that was a smokescreen while Rafa Benitez's contract went down, but that's just me. Um, this could be massive news, but, I mean, uh, yes, until you see the four of them with Sunderland scarves over their head on the pitch, it's, it's not really a done deal. But how are we feeling about this new news? Yeah, the, the initial kind of emotion, it's hard not to be excited in, in terms of potential billionaires, multiple billionaires taking over your football club. And um, and then, as a few mags pointed out on Twitter, then Ella Short was also an American billionaire and, and look what's happened then. So so I think the initial excitement is is we should enjoy this. We should at least be able to be excited about it. And if it does come off, then fantastic. Um, that was my initial thought. My my kind of thoughts after that, in terms of how I compute that, is kind of what happens going forward. 
I think financial fair play has has its say in terms of um, can we just make it clear if it is taken over, we're not going to go and buy every player that we need and spend shitloads of money on uh, on kind of wages and so on. I'd much prefer to kind of go in the way that we're going and the way that um, Stu Donald and Charlie's kind of uh, kind of made the club more attractive, more sustainable um, financially. Um, and kind of see what happens again. We can kind of we need to wait for it to pan out. But I think th- I think the key thing is that if it does come off, uh, we continue to kind of grow and become that kind of stable club that we once were. If we ever were a stable club, um, as opposed to yeah, they've got billions of pounds. So what's what's half a half a billion pound on transfers over the next five years, kind of thing. So, um, and my final thought on this is is kind of I've, at the moment I've got a team that I'm I'm fairly proud of and that I know is fighting for the shirt and kind of just normal lads and there's no one there for kind of the wrong reasons. So kind of if we do grow and become better better financially, then then kind of what happens to this team as well. Um, I don't know if it's my kind of 35 years of support in Sunderland, but I've got a team that's now winning games and kind of I'm enjoying it again. So kind of if we do go to the championship and replace this team and and, and furthermore, then then kind of how do we react to that? And there are obviously going to be bumps in the road as well. It's not all going to be kind of they come in, spend lots of money and everything's positive. So, yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Simon. Um, well... Start off with so John Phelan and Robert Platek were there yesterday, weren't they? So they're there. It's probably going to happen, mm. isn't it? Um, echo what Neil says. That I, I'm sure actually Sunderland supporters are, are a fairly clued in lot. So I'm I'm sure that most people realise just as Neil said. No matter how much money they've got, it's not going to make a great deal of difference to this season in League One. Um, you're perfectly right to bring up the the FFP or actually the salary cost management protocol as it is in League One. But yes, Sunderland can't go throwing money about even were they minded to do so. So it's not going to make a lot of difference. Obviously, potentially going forward, it's game changer. Um, And therefore, why not get excited about the possibility of it? But always be grounded, as Neil brought up there, with the fact that Sunderland still have to get promoted under their own steam this season for this to work out and then the long term to become more interesting and that sort of thing. Um, I went on the website of MSD and did a bit of reading about it the other day. And <clears throat> look, it's all business spiel and that sort of thing. But they're, they're big pushing the idea of like strategic thinking and that kind of thing. And actually, in light of the Ellis Short experience, I, I think the biggest thing that Sunderland could get out of this is somebody with a, a clear plan because that's what the club's not had for over a decade. So, yeah, money's important. Nobody's going to shy away from that. But more than the money, if if they can actually bring in people who, who in business can see five, ten years ahead and they can translate that to the arena of football, that's the most important thing that Sunderland could get out of this, more than just pounds, shillings and pence. Yeah. Craig? I think, first and foremost, a lot of credit has to go to Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin about this because whenever there's takeover rumours, whatever football club, it is plastered over the news. It, it's plastered you know, in the, the newspapers, Sky Sports, this, that and the other. Granted, we're not that level of mainstream media anymore because we're League One and let's be fair, nobody besides us really care about Sunderland Football Club. That's just the reality now. But the fact that this has gone by and it's been so quiet there's been obviously a lot of conversations and people have got to 
pretty much consistently wrong all the time. And the fact that these two, who have had every insult thrown at them, chances, Dell boys, this, that, and the other, have managed to attract, again, it's not done yet, but they've managed to attract basically a company that manages the wealth for, I think, he's the 25th richest man in the world. I mean, that is some achievement. And in, in terms of what they've done whilst they've been here, a lot of it perhaps has gone unnoticed. They've always said from day one that they've had, you know, kind of an, an honest idea of what they want to do. If they are looking for investment, they want the right person. Stuart Donald said multiple times he could sell this club to, to a lot of people who only want to be here for, you know, make a, a few extra quid and then bugger off. We could have, we could have been Bury, we could have been Bolton. Um, but what these two have done is is been a massive, massive achievement. And I think I think Simon's right. Basically, with the here now, they wouldn't have been at this match yesterday for for no other reason than basically making sure that they're signing off on this deal. At least that's my opinion. You're right. It's certainly not going to make any difference to this season. But in the long term, I mean, we're, to compete next season, we're probably going to need to spend a penny um, mm-hmm. because the gap between the Championship and League One is it, it's grown bigger and bigger. So I think the fact is, if we can get out of this league and we've got a decent bit of backing and that these have actually got a plan of what they want to do, something for the long term, mm. Ella Short was always destined for failure, unfortunately. Mm. You know, we can never ever accuse of them not spending the right amount of money, but there just wasn't football people here at that time. I, I don't think anywhere people who had the club at heart, but if we keep, say, Stuart Donald on board, Charlie Methvin, then I think these two will still pretty much be the front face. But the fact is now we're going to have a lot more money. So, you know, kind of touch wood, mm-hmm. it shouldn't go wrong. It well, should not go wrong. I know we could have had this conversation now. 10 years ago, but no, it, it, look, it's, it's, it's massive and we can all get excited about it. I want to see them with the scarves above their heads. I want to hear the stories of Charlie Methvin and Black Cat House having his Wolf of Wall Street moment. <laughs> but listen, it's it's been an excellent week for I think us. That's it's every day. I it think. is, it is. Yeah. It's, this will all become a film. It, I was going to say, ne- Netflix yeah. are coming back for season three, I think, <laughs> either for this. But yeah. it, it's been an excellent week for us. Why not have a little bit of excitement about it? It's important to remain grounded because, look, our friends up the road, the day after we get beat off Charlton in the playoff final, they're set to become allegedly the richest football club in the world. This, that, and the Mbappe other. Mbappe was close. Yeah, that? I was going to say. So, Mourinho. look, it's yeah. it's important that we do remain grounded yeah. and also do realise as well, look, just because we're going to get stinking rich, we're not going to go out and sign Marcus Madison. I know everybody's desperate, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> we're not going to spend five, ten million pounds. It's, it's not there. It's not needed. Yeah. But in the long term, look, we're in a tremendous position now. Yeah. Well, I think for me... You know, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven staying on is possibly the the biggest part of it. I mean, obviously the money goes without saying, um, but I think certainly with with Stuart, I think the club's got under his skin, and I think you can tell that. Um, and like you said, you know, we need a plan, we need it, we need a we need a a system, and I think you can look at clubs at other clubs for the, for the model. I think you can look at someone like Wolves. You know, the way they did the championship, they kind of ran away with it and then took to the Premier League like a duck to water. I think even the three promoted Premier League sides this season are all within a, in with a shout of staying up. Um, I know Aston Villa did it very differently, but still, I think there's, there's a clear there's a clear system there. There's a clear way of spending money, and I think that's how we have to do it. Because you look at someone like Stoke in the Championship, who are still struggling, and they've put money into that as well. So yeah, I think it's just it's very exciting. It's I think 
it's all about time and I think with football because we, we've had the money but we've had it at the wrong time with the wrong people this time it looks like we're going to have the money but at the right time with the right people mm. and that could be very very exciting I'm going to be sat here with my red and white blinkers on but if you look at say where we are now I mean how many football clubs are going to be in this level of football and still be drawn in 30,000 people you know consistently every yeah. single week um, I mean the opportunity for anybody to come in and invest it's it might be one of those things where they think, look, long term, we'll we'll spend a bit of cash, we'll get back in the Premier League and, and maybe they want to sell us on or anything like that. It's all speculative at this stage. But when things go right here, it, it's just, it's a different world, isn't it? You know, when you go back to when we won the league under, say, Roy Keane, Mick uh, McCarthy, Peter Reid, things like that, everybody talked about Sunderland Football Club, you know, for, for the right reasons, at least then. So I think with these people now on board granted the Netflix documentary might have helped as well you hear a lot of rumours about that but mm-hmm. you know now is a, is an opportune moment for anybody to get involved and, and, and take this as far as we can go because the sky's the limit with us it always has been but we just need to make sure that we manage this correctly because look we don't want to be here in League One mm-hmm. I don't want to be sat in this room next season talking about playing Watch against oh don't honestly I don't want to be talking about that mm-hmm. uh, I think there is clubs who can go up and look Wolves blew the league apart they spent an awful lot of money. Um, I mean, look at Charlton, for example. They've just got promoted. They haven't spent an awful lot, but they've got a pretty good plan in terms of what they want to do this season yeah. and they're flying at the moment. Yeah. So by keeping football people on board and having a good financial backing, look, you know, it's it's a much, much better position than, than say, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think what Donald and uh, Metfund did when they took over was they kind of spent time understanding the area and understanding the club, and I think that'll be equally as important with any potential takeover. Um, I think Ellis is his kind of silent owner, uh, living miles away even when he was in the UK. I think he lived in London. Um, He didn't really take that time. So I'm not necessarily saying the four investors will be kind of rocking up in Roker and and kind of buying a house in Roker, but I think if they get the right people to kind of do that for them, that's a key thing to keep this kind of momentum of, of kind of... The, the previous takeover and, and making sure that that kind of goes swimming in that in that respect in in a similar way that uh, John Henry's done at Liverpool he's got the right people working for him and he turns up kind of every every eight games and kind of shows his face but essentially he's got that kind of team in place who know what they're doing um, below him yeah I think that was a big thing with Ellis Short he, he never had the right people mm. spending his money never yeah. had the right people looking after it at yeah. all and it just historically these moments of opportunity if this deal is done don't come about all the time and Sunderland had this with first Drummerville then Alice Short over what 10-12 years ago there was a moment of opportunity for Sunderland Football Club and by and large they messed it up Um, and so what I would hope is that if a moment of opportunity does come along this time they see the pitfalls this time they don't mess it up. This time, you take advantage of a chance that might not come along again. So, to, to play devil's advocate yet again, and potentially getting carried away a little bit, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. Say we go up this season, the the, the takeover goes through, everything's, everything's great. Does there come a point where there has to be almost casualties within within the team and within the, even the coaching squad um, to the point where we need to go up a level to take us to that next level. And I'm thinking, first team that comes to mind is Southampton. They get up in the Premier League, Nigel Adkins does a brilliant job getting them up. 
They sack him, get him Mauricio Pochettino, and it's a bit like, whoa, what's what's Elkins done wrong there? But they needed to do that for them to go to the next level, and Pochettino certainly did that. Is there a point where, I'd say we get the championship, where we say, thank you, but now we need to go in a new direction? Quite possibly, but I think, again, we'll run the risk of appointing somebody for all the wrong reasons, mm. at least with somebody like Jack Ross at the moment. And I'll be honest, I'm a big fan of Jack Ross. I, the idea where people are saying, look, we want him out, this, that, and the other... We don't really want that about any manager because if you sack someone on the field, and let's be fair, whoever we've had in the past, rightfully speaking, you want them all to succeed. But we've had appointments where you know David Moyes came in and he felt he was doing us a favour straight away from day one. There was it looked like there was no desire to be here, um, and we don't want that. We don't want to really, you know, kind of back ourselves into that much of a corner again where we're making these appointments. I mean, granted, okay, you can understand Allardyce left for the England job, but I think the reality was he was going to leave anyway because of his unhappiness around the transfer situation. But I think what will be important is is trying and at least have a little bit of consistency because at this stage now, if you look at, say, top end of the championship and in the Premier League, the money is absolutely ridiculous. So if if potential managers or future candidates out there are aware that we've got an awful lot of backing, I think the first thing they'll be saying is, well, look, I need a huge amount of money for this, that and the other. And then you potentially run the risk of ripping up our project and starting again. And that's where we fell really kind of badly in the past where every single transfer window come August, we were getting rid of half of a team. We're bringing in 12 new signings. It took as far as October or November to kind of get them settled. By that time, we had a new manager who wanted to make his own individual signings, January, August, and lo and behold, you're in that similar situation again. So... I'd like to think that by keeping hold of Jack Ross for the long term, um, I mean, look, who knows? He might take the Scotland job he's been linked with. He might take the Celtic job in the future, again, that he's been linked with. We don't know. But I think it's important to try and keep the model that we've got for as long as we can because I genuinely believe we can get out of this league at the first time of asking now, this season at least. Sorry, of course, forgetting last season. But this season we can get out. Um, and I'm pretty confident that with the right additions and with the right tweaks that we can at least achieve somewhere like mid-table stability next season because, look, it, we're not going to do a double promotion. I think that's quite unheard of these days um, unless, you know, you plough an awful lot of money. But I think we just need to remain a little bit grounded and I think, for, from my personal opinion, we need to try and keep what we've got for as long as we've got. Players, okay, you know, you're always expected to turn over but I, I think by appointing somebody else, you know, you're just going back to square one. Get your point. Um little bit uncomfortable because I think this is a three-pint conversation in the pub, really, isn't mm. it? more, more mm-hmm. than anything else. I don't want to anoint Jack Ross as the next Alex Ferguson. I'm a big fan of him. Mm-hmm. But um, it, this is all way down the line and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I think, you know, Peterborough away is, is probably yeah. more important. Look, I, I get why you're having the conversation. Players, yes. Management, no. Did Sheffield United sack Chris Wilder? Did mm. Norwich sack Daniel Farker? Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. I... I I think the Southampton one that you mention, which is a very interesting set of circumstances, I think that's almost the exception rather mm. than the rule mm-hmm. because people do it, but it, it, I'm not sure it often works. Um, at, the min- at the minute, looking where Sunderland are, not just because they play in red and white, I, I think Sunderland should should try and do what Sheffield United have done over the last couple of years and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that that's, that's grow organically and... Get a group of people, coaching staff, and players. Players will players will come, and players will go. And if you step up a level, you need to get better players. That's just the way of the world. But but 
let it grow organically let it let it become its it, its own thing and don't look to just swap things out because you happen to have a bit more in your bank account yeah well for what's worth completely agree um you know norwich i've spent seven hundred fifty thousand, i think this season in the prem just thought interesting conversation to have it I is think, an interesting it? conversation under the have, yeah. under the I circumstances i think we'll maybe be sat here april may if we're in the top two looking at all things looking good and if we sat down and said right how many of these players are championship players mm-hmm. um then that would be fairly startling bearing in mind that kind of no one's really came in and took our top performers and Stu donald's been fairly open in that if the price is right for the right player then they would be sold um the fact that McGeady, McLaughlin, um, Maguire, um, I'm not just picking out all the max there, but, but potentially our best players, the fact that they still here suggests the League One players. So if we were to go up to the championship, then then yeah, they, they, I think there'd be a forthright conversation in terms of, well, actually, we've got maybe, I'm not going to say a number of players, but a certain number of players who actually can take us forward and that mm-hmm. needs to be added to. So I think, Craig, your points on continuity and consistency of, perfectly right but if we yeah. want to compete at championship level then I think we will have that another over, overhaul of, of, of the squad going forwards but if, if we can do the Sheffield United thing and have a nucleus of the squad and kind of add four or five each time as opposed to 13 in 13 out kind of thing and if you look at Liverpool and Spurs now kind of where they want to be just about they essentially sign one player every window or one player every other window. Um, that's the kind of the golden egg for me to have that kind of team that I can be proud of over a number of seasons. My little boy's seven and he's kind of lost. He's forgot about the number of players that he's adored because they've kind of come and gone. And, and we kind of want that Sheffield United, right? We've got a nucleus, we've got 14, 15 players. We'll shift three on and we'll bring three in kind of going forward all the way to the Premier League. That's the way I would like it to happen, but... I'm hoping with some of the money that is coming in, though, that something that people haven't discussed is that may allow us to kind of add up the fund in the scouting departments, places like that again, um, money being pulled back into the academy, because there is a lot of teams in the championship. Um, I mean, Sheffield United are the prime example who, what, they were in there for one season, um, following season, they, they go back up. So, but I look at teams like, like Preston, for example, they came up from um, winning the playoffs and they're always lingering again, in the playoffs in a higher division now, and they don't go out and spend an awful lot of money. Um, so I, I think that's crucial that people perhaps are aware, like, we have a lot of money, but it doesn't necessarily need to be squandered for for that sake. There is an awful lot of talent out there. We just need to make sure that we tap into the, the appropriate places rather than, say, go somewhere and bring in the next Didier and Dong. Instead, maybe hmm. we can go go somewhere a little further afield or perhaps or, or closer to home and and maybe get someone for, for a hell of a lot cheaper but just make sure that we, we yeah. utilise our resources because let's be fair having this academy and things like that on the doorstep people should be immensely proud to come play for this football club and they should want to come here for the right reasons and I, I think recruiting smart yeah we're expecting obviously a turnover of players if we go up that's that's a no-brainer um, but again just, just making sure that we, we manage our expectation levels appropriately because we can we can easily get carried away with this now and think you know yep. we're billionaires mm-hmm. and we're going to be in the Champions League in a few years, but it's yeah. it's very unlikely. Yeah, I, I think Farker at Norwich is really interesting one. He he was under real pressure at the beginning. I think he went on a really bad run at one point, but I, he didn't even go to the Bundesliga. I don't think. I think he went to kind of Bundesliga two and, mm-hmm. and picked out three or four really good players that are now central and. He maybe got a little bit lucky with Pookie as well, um, but that was kind of a Kevin Phillips kind kind of signing for them. Um, but other than that, he's got three or four Germans in there that are kind of the spine of the team now, and 
again, he was under real pressure at one point when he yeah. first took over six months in. Um, I think what's interesting about Norwich is though that Stuart Webber's come out and, and, and he said even when they were struggling, um, Farker's job was was never under mm. never under pressure. He always yeah. knew he was he was his man, um, which I think it, you know Donald's done similar thing with Jack Ross, but it's all potentially very exciting. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, so we'll look ahead now to the next game, Burnley Wednesday night Carabao Cup. We expected eleven changes. There are thereabouts. Um, Chris McGuire said yesterday, rightfully, that's a bonus game. And for me, yeah, it'd be nice to get through, um, maybe have a a fairly decent kind of idea of where we are in terms of going up against what is likely a second-string Burnley side. Can we compete against teams like that? If not, how far away are we? But, look, I'm not going to lose any sleep if we get knocked out of that competition because, for me, the Peterborough game next weekend is, is by far the most important game. So, for me, it's about getting minutes under the belt for a lot of a lot of players who haven't had the opportunity as of yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see Lee Burge come back in again. I thought he's performed well when he's been called upon um, in the cup earlier in the season and pre-season. But yeah, for me, look, it, it's a dead rubber. If we get beat, if we get knocked out, so be it. It'd be nice to keep a little bit of momentum in terms of the running streak ongoing. But look, Peterborough's the main game. Hundred percent. I think it's part of the punishment that Sunderland have to suffer for being in League One. League Cup, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not going to win it. No. I know Bradford got to the final a few years ago and that kind of thing, but that's like one in a million. Not going to win it. Really, it's it, it doesn't. It, honestly, I still think the trophy's probably a bigger deal than the League Cup mm-hmm. this season. And I, I, I'm not saying that they should go hell for leather to go back to Wembley in the trophy, but mm-hmm. the League Cup, it, 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 it's just a sad truth of the situation. Doesn't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Pretty simple then. So any any predictions, score predictions? Uh, do, we ex- want, do we want to lose? <laughs> uh, look, uh, no, uh, uh, we all want to win every single game, don't sure. we? Um, I think it's going to be second string against second string. Who knows? I I, I expect, look, I, th- I think we'll probably get beat maybe maybe 2 or 3-0. It'd be nice to get somebody down there, Will Grigg in particular, scoring. Yeah. Um, what's more important for me is is I'd like to see some some good performances in there. Um, I want to see something from Dylan McGeoch and George Dobson if they are involved. I'd like to see Conor McLaughlin come back in and, and hopefully hopefully cement you know the position he wants to play in because he's been here, there and everywhere so far, hasn't he? Um, but look, it's it's an opportunity for, for the second string players or the people who are, are there or thereabouts to, to come knocking on the door and try and get their players back in the team. So for me, I, th- I think we'll get beat 2 or 3-0, but I'm honestly not bothered. I'm not so sure that there will be so many changes. If you, I went to Accrington and I kind of I was pleasantly surprised at how many how strong the team was, and that's maybe the the position or the pressure that Ross was under at the at the time. He's he's under a lot less pressure, and it's a it's a bonus game now. But I don't. I, I think he may keep some nucleus to the side to try and kind of keep that momentum in terms of um of, of kind of what we've gone down the last four or five games. Um, but yeah, that, I think whether it's a Half strength side or fully reserved side, I, I don't think the outcome really matters within the the bigger context of the season. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think you're both spot on. Yeah, um, I think if Sunderland walk off the pitch on at Burnley, and some players have put a marker down in the manager's mind and said, "We want to be part of your first eleven, then I think that it would be a successful night for Sunderland, regardless of what the score is. Yep, yeah. completely agree. 
Right, well, Craig, Neil, Simon, thank you very much for coming in. And to the listener, thanks for sticking with us. Bit of a longer one this time, but I think you'll understand given the, all the circumstances. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.